Amen. All right. Bless you guys. Bless you. So proud of you. Amazing. All right. And then also, um, can you throw me one of those or toss me one? What we'll do is uh, I figure some of you would want to help them financially as well. So we'll put up a basket at the end of service. I don't know where the holy place to put this is. We'll put it right here. Oh! Um, <laughs> if you, if you want to give towards that at the end of service, there's a basket. Also, push pay or you know, any kind of online giving. Just give, push, uh, put evangelism uh, in there, and we'll know where it needs to go. And uh, we're just so excited to uh, have you guys in this area, and I cannot wait to see what God is going to do. Um, I, don't, I literally don't have time to tell you the story, but the way that we got together is a supernatural story of God, a story that will just blow your minds, um, who God is and, and what he's doing. Uh, it's a miracle that uh, we know each other, so God is so good. All right, well, let's get into this. I have a little bit of trivia I want to do with you. Um, it's called um, Name That Hymn Trivia. We all, we all love that game, right? The Name That Hymn Trivia. Um, I don't, Alex, you probably, you know, every Friday night, that's probably what you do is the uh, Name That Hymn <laughs> Trivia. And, um, and, and so you'll be really good at this. <laughs> but here's the deal. I'm going to give you clues. And, and as I give you the clues, you, you can shout out which hymn this is. If you're at first service, please do not play. Uh, that's just called ruining the game. Um, but... The, the first hint, the first hint, so easy that by the first hint, you'll, you'll probably know it and, and the game will be over. But this hymn was written in 1757. If you know it, just shout it out. I mean, come on, 1757. Oh, good guess, good guess, but you're wrong. Okay, and it was written by a 22-year-old named Robert Robinson. So, oh, that was a close guess. Um, but it's still wrong. That was actually, yes, the first round as well. But, you know, it's not Amazing Grace, but you guys are doing great. Good, good, good job. Way to play. Um, okay, so this is where it's going to get really good. It, it, it talks about the Christmas carol. Remember that? It talks about Ebenezer. Not that Ebenezer, but it talks about raising my Ebenezer. Remember that one? <laughs> Anyone? Amazing Grace? Ebenezer. Okay, it also says this line, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the one. Christ alone? Oh, that's wrong. <laughs> Anyone? As you can tell, tell we are a really liturgical church. So far you have all flunked this. Um, the first line of this hymn is, come thou fount. Oh, you're right, come thou fount. All the way, you're, you live in Colorado, right? All the way from Denver. You win the prize. And, and the prize... I said, I didn't have a prize for service. I said you could take one of the FICAs home. So take a FICA to Denver because I would love it if they were just all out of here. So they've hung around since the 80s and they just won't leave. So, <laughs> but come thou fount. That line, prone to wander, Lord. Remember when you sang that? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel. Prone to leave the God I love. I grew up 17 years in a Presbyterian church, and I remember singing that song, and I would sing that line, and I would just think, what a dumb line that is, right? I'll never leave God. I mean, are you kidding me? I, I, as a six, seven-year-old, you're like, are you kidding me? Like, I, I asked him into my heart, and it's in my H-E-A-R-T, and the devil's going to sit on attack, and like, this is all good. Like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to leave God. Remember that? Well, what a silly, silly line. But then you actually live your life. And, you, and after you live your life, you, you, re, you sing that again. You're like, oh, yeah. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. 
prone to leave the God I love. And in my own life, too often, I find myself distracted. I find myself drifting. Instead of having my heart and my mind focused on the Lord, focused on my Savior who loves me and gave himself up for me, instead I'm living for myself, living for my wants, living for my desires, my passions, my dreams. Instead of living for God and the plans that he has for me. And so that's why we also sing the next line of the song, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Lord, here's my heart. Take it and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. And you know, Robert Robinson, which I think that's a really cool name, but Robert Robinson and I, we're not alone in this idea of wandering. I think humanity has struggled with a tendency to wander and turn away from God ever since Adam and Eve ate of that forbidden fruit. Even Apostle Paul, he talks about it. He says, you know, we often do what we don't want to do. We stray. We stray from the truth. And it's why it's so important to actually seek the Lord daily, to daily seek the Lord, to say, God, search my heart. God, have your way in my life. You remember King David, King David in the Old Testament, he understood humanity's tendency to wander, and he wrote in Psalm 119, he said, with my whole heart, so with everything I've got, he says, I have sought you, I seek you out, Lord. He says, let me not wander from your commandments. How important it would be for every one of us in this room to follow David's example, to actually seek the Lord, as he writes, seek the Lord with our whole hearts, with everything that we have. And this is so important, so important to actively seek the Lord so that we might not wander from him or wander from his truth. But even then, sometimes, even then, even when our hearts long to seek God, even when it is our passion to follow hard after God, don't you know that the distractions of life have this amazing ability to draw us away from God and draw us away from his word. Have you ever had that happen where you, you wake up in the morning and, oh man, you are dedicated to the Lord, right? You are committed to God. You are committed to living for Jesus and then something happens. What happens? Yeah, you wake up. <laughs> you actually get out of bed. Life happens. Life happens, and, and think about life. Life, it begins to chip away at the contentment that you have in Christ. Life, it, it begins to chip away at the satisfaction that you have in Christ. It chips away at your love and the joy and the peace that you have in Christ. And if you are not on guard, if you are not properly equipped by the word and by his spirit, you can end up responding to the challenges of life by turning from him, from wandering from his plans, and ignoring the divine purpose that he has for your life. And we're all guilty of this at some level. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And I was thinking about that this week. To that I would say this. Praise the Lord for a God who is patient and kind and compassionate, whose grace is always sufficient for me, that even in my weakest moments, even as I am prone to wander, God does not give up on me. Last week, we began this discussion of how much God misses us and how he wants us back. And, and, and we said that if you turn to him, as in the story of the prodigal son, if you turn to him, that he comes running to us. And I love this truth. I love the truth that when we turn back to God, that he runs to meet us, that he comes to us, he pursues us, he, he runs to us, embraces us, kisses us. The story of the prodigal son, is says he embraces us, kisses us, and what does he say? He goes, come on, everybody, we're going to have a party, we're going to celebrate because my son or my daughter who was lost is now found. And I love that 
about God. And we talked about how God is sending us these messages, these daily, minute by minute, moment by moment, post-it notes, reminding us of how much he loves us and how much he misses us and how much he desires for us to turn back to him. Notes like Psalm 145, 18, that the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Or James 4, 8, that promises, come near to God and he will what? He will come near to you. These messages, they just describe a God who misses us. And if you just call on his name, call on the Lord, he might come close to you. It's the promise of scripture. And I, and I really enjoyed last Sunday. It was a powerful time with the Lord. But as we continue looking at these post-it notes, these messages from God, the, the phrase that keeps on running through my mind again and again, and if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. It's this. It's simple, but it's true. The creator misses his creation. The creator misses his creation, as Catherine so beautifully saying. Our creator, whom Psalm 139, 13 says, made all of our delicate and inner parts of our body, knit us together in our mother's womb. This creator of humanity, this creator of you and the creator of me, he misses us and he wants us back. And we saw last Sunday how in his son Jesus, because of what Jesus did on the cross, because of his sacrifice for our sins, where sin had actually separated us from God, but because of Jesus, we are now brought back into relationship with him, with our heavenly father, if we just call on his name, if we turn to him, if we ask him to be our Lord and our savior, he is faithful to forgive us of our sins and to give us everlasting life in his presence. But today I want to take it a little further. See, today I, I think most of us can understand this message, this message of God and his son and, and wanting us back and if we turn to him that, and, and accept his son's sacrifice that he would receive us back, restore a relationship with him through his son Jesus Christ. We kind of understand that. We turn to him and we see the father running. But today I want to take it a little further because don't you know sometimes we wander. And we're that prodigal who has taken the father's inheritance. We're the prodigal who takes the inheritance and we squander it on easy living. But see, in that story, Jesus tells us that the son finally came to his senses. Well, he, he kind of came to his senses, right? At least he comes up with a plan, right? He, he knows that he's pretty hungry and, and he's feeding pigs, but the pigs are eating better than he is. And he remembers, he has this idea, oh yeah, my father, he has these hired servants and he feeds his hired servants. So I'm just going to come back to my father with this speech of saying, hey, if you just receive me back as one of your hired servants, because at least that way he can eat. So he comes back, he's walking back to his father, practicing the speech, but then what happens? You guys remember what happens? The father sees him off in the distance, the father comes running towards the son, embraces him, kisses him, throws a party, and it's beautiful. And, and we love that story. We all love that story. Why do we love that story? Because it's the story of us. I mean, it's a good story of God loving us. And when we turn back to God, we see him running to us. But what I want to address today is the reality that there are also times when we leave the Father, when we squander our inheritance on reckless living, when we end up feeding the pigs. And yet, even in the midst of being cold, hungry, broke, and alone, there are times when we still do not turn back to God. And I think this is the heavy reality of life. See, because the great part about the prodigal son story, the great part about that, it's the ending, right? The end. I mean, don't you love the ending? The son comes back. But in real life, many times, those who wander for the Lord, they do not ever make that turn back to the father. 
And we all know people like that. Maybe it's friends or family, coworkers, classmates. Maybe it's you. Maybe you're in that season right now. And you feel so far away from God that you're halfway convinced that God doesn't even exist. But today we're going to see how much God loves you and how much he misses you. Because even when we wander from him, even when we stay from him, the creator's passion for his creation, it continues and it does not waver. He misses you and he wants you back. And today we're going to look at a story in the Bible where if we see him, even if we do not turn to him, you're going to see him pursuing us. And he will pursue you and pursue you and pursue you because he wants to find you. And he's really good at finding that which is lost. But before we go any further, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this moment. May this be a holy moment where we hear, see, and feel your heart for your people. That we would see that you are a loving God, a passionate God who misses his creation and you want him back. Lord, may our hearts be pierced by your word today, transformed and changed to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Randy, he, he showed a pretty amazing video. If you guys were here, remember the video? The video of him, uh, not him, uh, that's, that would be awesome if it was him, but if you remember the video, it's a shepherd with his sheep, right? The video, and, and the shepherd, he calls out his, to his sheep, but before he calls out to the sheep, he has some students give their best shot at calling out the sheep. And remember the students, they're, they're doing their calls, and as, as they call it to the sheep, do you remember what the sheep did? <laughs> right? I mean, nothing. I mean, they didn't even pick up their heads. I mean, it was great. And then the shepherd begins to call out. Remember that? And the shepherd calls, and then they're eating their grass, doing what sheep do. And then, remember that? Wasn't that great? And then that guy, and he's like, hey, what are you doing? And then that guy, and then they all kind of start going towards it, and they go faster and faster, and the camera pans out, and then you just see this massive sheep, a flock of sheep just running towards their shepherd. And one of the great parts of that scene, too, is he comes out of the gate, but then he goes back into the gate, and then he walks through the sheep, and as he walks through the sheep, what do the sheep do? They, they follow. Yeah, they're just like, where are you going? That's where I'm going. He probably had some good food as well, but he, they know their shepherd's voice, and the shepherd knows his sheep. There's actually a great story in the Bible about this. Jesus, he gives the story about the sheep and the shepherd. In the story, you're going to hear Jesus. He describes himself as the gate to the sheep pen, but he also describes himself as the good shepherd. And then he calls us. What are we in the story? You know, and remember, yeah, we're the sheep. Um, so listen to what he says. Jesus, he says, I tell you for certain that only thieves and robbers climb over the fence instead of going in through the gate to the sheep pen. But the gatekeeper opens the gate for the shepherd and he goes in through it. The sheep know their shepherd's voice. He calls each of them by name and leads them out. Isn't that amazing that he calls us by name? Anyone excited about that this morning? Verse four, when he has led out all of his sheep, he walks in front of them and they what? What do they do? They, they follow because they know his voice. The sheep will not follow strangers. They do not recognize a stranger's voice. They will run away. Jesus told the parable, he tells this story, but they did not understand what he was talking about. So Jesus goes on. He says, I tell you for certain that I, Jesus, am the gate for the sheep. Everyone who came before me was a thief or a robber. The sheep didn't listen to any of them. I am the gate. 
All who come in through me will be saved. Through me, they will come and go and find pasture. A thief, you know what a thief does? A thief comes in to rob, to kill, and destroy. But I came, Jesus says, I came what? To give you life and have life to its fullest. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives up his life for his sheep. Hired workers, they're not going to do that. Hired workers, they are not like the shepherd. They don't own the sheep. And so when they see a wolf coming, they're, what are they going to do? They're going to flee. They're going to run off. They're going to leave the sheep. And the wolf attacks and the, and the flock is scattered. Hired workers will always run away because they do not care about the sheep. But Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I give up my life for my sheep. I have other sheep that are not in the sheep pen. I must bring them together too. When they hear my voice, then there will be one flock of sheep and one shepherd. So many messages to be preached from just that one passage. But today, really more than anything, what I want you to see is that our good shepherd, Jesus, really, really loves his sheep. I mean, don't you love that in the story he doesn't just say the sheep, he says my sheep. Don't you love the idea that God knows you by name and he doesn't just say, oh yeah, there's one of my humans. He goes, that's my human that's my boy. That's my daughter. I created them and I know them and I'm bringing them back. That's what I want you to get to right here. He's the shepherd. What are you? You're the, he's the, you're the, all right. Keep that in your mind. Listen to this. Another story. Luke 15. Jesus, it says tax collectors, sinners were all drawn near to Jesus. Jesus is always drawing tax collectors and sinners around him. Now the religious rulers of the day, all the self-righteous religious leaders, all the pastors of the day, are they happy about all the sinners and tax collectors hanging around with Jesus? Actually, they're not. In fact, they're like, how could you even do this, Jesus? In fact, they say, this man receives sinners and eats with them. That's not a compliment. So he tells them this parable. Isn't that great? He hears these self-righteous you know, Pharisees and scribes saying, well, this man eats with sinners. And then Jesus is like, oh, I'm glad you said that because I got a story for you. Verse 3, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and he calls together his neighbors. He goes, everybody, come on, come close. He says, you got to rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so. I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven. Everybody say joy. joy. There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And this passage, it really is the heartbeat of my message today. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter if you're a tax collector, a prostitute. A thief, an adulterer, a murderer, a pastor. It doesn't matter if you've been looking at porn every night. It doesn't matter if you've been stealing money every day or just wandering through life without meaning or purpose. Regardless of where you are at today, the good shepherd loves his sheep. And he really, really, really misses you. And he wants you back. And Because he misses you. And if you're taking notes, write this down. Because he misses you, he will pursue you. Because he misses you, he will find you. Hallelujah. God is really good at pursuing that which is lost. Maybe you've heard this before, but God's love for us, it's a pursuing 
love, a pursuing love. Christianity is much more about God coming to us than it is about us coming to God. In our relationship, who's the one who takes the first step? Who's the one who takes the initiative? Us or God? God, absolutely. He's really good at pursuing that which is lost. Romans 5, verses 7 through 9, this is Paul writing. He says, For one would hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. So you might die for a good person. But then he says, But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you see the pursuit, church? That while we were sinners, while we were lost in our sin, lost going our own way, doing our own thing. I mean, lost doing all those things that make the Pharisees and the, and the scribes and all the other self-righteous people squirm, you know, in their skin. I mean, while we were doing those things, while we were living it up, while we are going down, while we are doing things that are just contrary to God, even as enemies of God, God pursued us. And God showed his love for us by sending his son to die for us. God pursues us. Poet Francis Thompson, he says this of God. He says that God is the hound of heaven. I love that. He is the hound of heaven. He has this relentless pursuing love for his creation. You see this as God is looking for Adam. Adam is hiding in the garden, but God pursues him. You see this in the story of Jonah. Poor Jonah. Jonah running away from God, but God pursues him. You see this in the story of David. David is an adulterer. David is a murderer. But yet God pursues him. You see this in the story of Peter. You remember Peter. Peter is one of, uh, of Jesus' disciples. And, and, and think of all the energy and the time and the effort that Jesus put into Peter. I mean, he is teaching him. He is training him. He is leading him. And yet Jesus' love for Peter is repaid by Peter denying that the two of them ever met. You ever think about that? All the energy of God towards Peter. And then what does Peter do? Peter denies Jesus. How many times? Three times. Denying Jesus. But does God give up on Peter? No, he keeps reaching for Peter, searching for Peter. He calls Peter back. He restores Peter, declares Peter to be a rock, and he charges Peter, feed my flock and lead my church. St. Augustine, an early church leader, he ran hard from God at the age of 17. He left his home, lives this life, I think it was about 13, 14 years of just sexual immorality, running from God, but God does not let him go. God <laughs> keeps on um, pursuing St. Augustine. His mother, Monica, if you've read his story, continues to pray, intercede for him. But finally, he brings, God brings Augustine to hear Ambrose, the, the bishop of Milan, and he hears the story, the gospel message of Jesus Christ, comes back to the Lord and ends up doing amazing things for Christ and his kingdom. And this story, it's played out again and again and again throughout history. We flee, but God follows. In Thompson's poem, listen to what he writes. This is so good. He says, I fled him down the labyrinth ways, down the nights, down the days. I fled with desperate haste and deliberate speed. And that's kind of how it goes. Right? We flee from God. Our society is really good at this, right? So much of our efforts and our straining, so much of the fast-paced tempo of life, it's this, this attempt to flee from God, to get away from God, to hide from the eyes of God. Much of our life is spent in this way. But I want you to know you can never escape the inescapable. Even though you run down the path away from God, guess what? Thompson writes in his poem, I love this. Thompson says, even as you run away from, from God, God's strong feet 
follow us. He follows after us. Even as we flee, God follows. God pursues. When I think about my own experience of running from God, even as I would spend entire days trying not to think of him. You ever done that before, right? You're just, I'm, just, I'm done with God. I'm going to forget you, God. But even in those moments, there was a part of me that knew that he was still following after me. That even when I didn't want anything to do with him, he continued to be involved in my life. Why? Because the creator misses his creation. I'll explain it this way. Oftentimes when people share their testimonies, and I love hearing people's testimonies, but they'll talk about how when they became a Christian, their, their eyes were open to God, and their eyes were open to experience after experience that happened before they were a Christian, experience where God was with them, even though they didn't realize that God was with them. Maybe you have that own, own experience as well. Right? You were living up. You, you, didn't, you weren't a Christian. You were doing your thing. But then you became a Christian. And you go, oh, wow. The grace of God in my life. The mercy of God in my life. The protection of God in my life. Anyone else have that, that story and that experience in your life? Wow. God, that even as I was wandering from you, the strong feet of God were pursuing me. And let's be honest, church. It's, it's crazy. Some of the things that are happening in our society right now, just a lot of really hard, tough things happening. But let's not believe that this is anything new. Man rebelling against God, it's been happening for thousands of years. Man rebelling against his word, man rebelling against his spirit. But I want you to hear this, and I want you to hear this hopefully very clearly this morning. God is still here. God is still alive. God is not in the corner shaking, wondering what's going on, wondering what he's going to do now. God is very confident in his plans and his purposes. And even as we shout, there is no God. Even as government and education and culture tries its best at removing even the existence of God. Even as we are straining to remove God from our lives. God's strong feet pursue us because our God loves us and he misses us and he wants us back. In fact, that's why I love 2016. I love being alive in 2016 because God is still really healthy. Did you know that? He's still really healthy and he's still a really loving and compassionate and gracious God. And his love is on the move. And his love is on the move and his love is good at pursuing. And he is pursuing and he is pursuing and he is pursuing. The creator misses his creation. He has a passion to get him back. And isn't it, just side note, as a Christian, isn't it amazing to be a part of that plan? Part of that rescue plan, that plan of redemption to save the world. Hallelujah. God loves his creation. But I want you to know this this morning. Because he misses you, he will pursue you. But also, it gets better. Because he misses you, he will find you. Because God is really, really good at finding that which is lost. <laughs> I was thinking about, I, I can't find my keys half the time. I lose my glasses if they're on my head. I don't know about you, but I just am so good at not finding things. Like it is a spiritual gift of mine of not being able to find things. Anyone else have that gift? <laughs> this morning, I'm like, where are my glasses? Why did I get clear glasses? I, how can I ever find clear glasses? You can't find them because they're clear. My wife is like, they're right here. I'm leaving now. <laughs> but I want you to know God is not like us. He's not like Pastor Dan. He's not like you. God is really good at finding that which is lost. 
In Luke 15, Luke 15, I love this chapter because there's some incredible stories Jesus tells. And sandwiched right between the good shepherd story and the prodigal son story is this story of the lost coin. And Jesus tells this story, and I want to read it to you. He says, verse 8, Or what woman... Having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. And Jesus goes on to say, verse 10, Just so I tell you, there is joy. Everybody say joy. There is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You know, I love this story because there is such a passionate pursuit from this woman to find the lost coin. And and if you notice, she looks everywhere, right? She's flipping on the light switch. She's lighting the candle, whatever they did back then. She's sweeping the floors. She is looking everywhere. Jesus says that she is seeking diligently, diligently. And guess what? Church, she found what she was looking for. And it's encouraging to me to know that God, my God, God is really good at finding what, that which he had lost. That he is willing to turn on the lights. He's willing to sweep the floor. He is willing to seek diligently for me. Another reason I love that parable, uh, the idea of this coin, is that I am of value to God. That I actually matter to God. Isn't that good to know? Because sometimes, I mean, this is the two in the morning kind of freak out that you have every once in a while. When you think of the magnitude of it all the expanse of the universe, the billions of people who live on this earth. And it just can kind of make you feel a little bit insignificant. If you've ever watched the Malcolm in the Middle episode, I love it. The younger, younger, youngest boy, he says that we are all like ants on an anthill and God is like a boy with a shovel just waiting to smite us all. <laughs> I love that. And it's completely wrong. <laughs> See, Jesus, in this story, he's revealing something completely different. He says, no, to my father, he doesn't have a shovel in his hand. He has a life preserver in his hands. He, he wants you to know right now, today, at 1216 in the afternoon, that you are of value to him. Jesus says in 1910, he says, of Luke, he says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You need to know you are of value to him. You are worth something to him. And he is going to turn on the lights, sweep the floor, and seek diligently for you because he came to save that which was lost. So just like that coin, when he finds you and when you turn your life to him, you need to know this. He's going to tell everyone around him, come on, you got to hear this. You got to come close. We got to rejoice. We got some celebration. We got a party to throw. Because guess what? I found the lost coin. And so this morning, it's important for you to know. You know, maybe you've been on that journey of running. Maybe your efforts and your energy has all been spent on running from God. Turning away from God. Fleeing God. But whether you like it or not, he is the great hound of heaven that's looking for you. And he's really good at finding that which is lost. You know, I was thinking about, as a kid, I, I loved playing hide-and-go-seek. Anyone else love playing hide-and-go-seek? I, I had a great neighborhood, and I remember this big field where we would play. And, and, but i got to be honest, as the seeker, and the seeker was always kind of a fun, fun thing to do, kind of, right? Until you couldn't find anyone else. And remember that part, and you're dark, and it's cold, and, and you're 
kind of, you know, eight and everyone else is 12 and they're just better at it than you. And so you give up, right? You just, you, uh, and what do you say at that point? You shout it out. You say, ollie, ollie, oxen free. Remember that? That was like, I'm done. Come on out. Game over, right? <laughs> Somebody else find. I want you to know God does not do that. <laughs> God is much more patient than the eight-year-old version of Dan Bursch. God, in fact, this idea of patience and the idea that patience, um, you'd actually be patient for your salvation. It comes from 2 Peter 3, verse 9. And he says instead, see, God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So he's not saying, oh, game over. I guess, you know, one day the, the game will be over and everyone will be judged. But he's just staying his patient hand as long as possible because, you know, he, can't, he sent his son into this world not to condemn the world, but what? To save the world. Like, he is patient. Patient not that anyone, anyone would be lost. Anyone. And so you need to know that he will continue to seek you. He will continue to pursue you. He will continue to look for you. He will continue to sweep. He'll continue to turn on the lights. He'll continue to seek you, diligently seek you until he finds you. So here we are in a room such as this, many of you trying your best at running from God. But I can guarantee you that there, as much as you have been running from God in your heart, you're kind of ready to stop running. Because if you're honest, you're exhausted, you're weary, you're tired. But today, you can find your rest in the loving arms of the Savior. Stop running. It's that simple. Stop running, turn, and find your rest in him. St. Augustine, I love what he says. He, he describes this so well. He writes this of God. He, he says, Thou hast made us for thyself, O God, and restless are our hearts until they rest in thee. And so this morning, I, I want to close, and, and I want you to know that as we close that it's okay to stop running from the Lord. I, I give you permission to stop running from God. And, and you don't have to come to him with a great speech, or you don't have to come to him and try to do a bunch of good things to get him to like you again. I, I can't tell you how many times I've tried that one, right? I'm just really going to show God how great I am. I'm really going to show God now he'll like, now he'll love me. You don't have to do any, any of those things, church. You just have to stop and turn. Stop and let him find you. In the story of the good shepherd, Jesus declares, he says, there's going to be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. In that story of the lost coin, Jesus says, I tell you, there is more joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. In both those stories, Jesus lets us know that when you repent, there is joy in heaven. I want to say that again. That when you repent, there is joy in heaven. And oh, what that must be like. The joy of heaven. Can you imagine the sound of the joy of heaven? Can you imagine the visual of what it must look like? The joy of heaven. The angels rejoicing over you. The angels rejoicing over me when we repent and we turn to God. Oh, what that must be like. And all you have to do is stop running. Turn and repent. Finally surrenders. I give up, God. I surrender to your pursuing love, to the strong feet of God. Let him find you, church. Let him find you. Our creator misses his creation. And out of his amazing love for you, he wants you back. Let's pray. God, these are special moments. 
holy moments to know that your heartbeat is for us. That when you think of us, you think of your desire to have a relationship with us. That when you think of us, you say, there's my sheep who I know by name, and I want him back, and I want her back, and I'm going to go find him. There's my coin, a valuable coin, and I'm going to seek diligently. I'm going to sweep the house to find the lost coin because I want you back. And Lord, I just thank you for that love that is being demonstrated even now as we've gathered together this morning. It is a love that says, I don't care what you've done. I don't care who you are. Right now, stop running and let me find you. There is a love in this place that says, I'm really good at pursuing and I'm really good at finding. And if you just stop, I would really, really love to embrace you with my loving arms. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you do not give up on us even as we give up on you. You do not give up on us. Even as we are unfaithful, you are still faithful. I thank you, Lord, that this is a moment where we can call upon your name. And as we call upon your name, we can know that you are close to us. With all heads bowed, if there's anyone here this morning who's never called upon the Lord to be their Lord and Savior, to be the one who could take away their sins and forgive them of their sins and give them eternal life, if you've never done that before and you'd like to do that this morning and have your life radically changed forever and ever, I'd love to pray with you and lead you in a prayer, a prayer of repentance, a prayer to turn from our own ways and instead live for the ways of our Lord. If that's you, would you raise your hand so I know who I'm praying with? Anybody want to turn to the Lord? Live a life for God. Amen. Absolutely. Of course. Beautiful. Amen. And then for some of us, maybe you, you, you're playing the game. I, let's just be honest without being too harsh. But it, it's easy to look like a Christian and sound like a Christian. But your heart, in the, in the areas that matter, your heart has been far from God. And prone to wander would actually be a pretty good definition of you and, and where you're at right now. But the beauty of today is it's not to shame us. It's to know that God, your love is here. Your love is pursuing us even now in this moment. And if that's you, if you know that your heart has been far from God, I want to pray for you. I want to pray in this moment that God would reveal himself in such a powerful way, in such a loving way, in a gracious way, in a compassionate way. And he'd lead you into his loving arms. And you could find rest in him once again. That today you could stop running and you could find rest in the arms of a Savior. If that's you, would you just raise your hand so I know who I'm praying with this morning? Amen. Well, there was about 50 in the first service, and there's zero today. So, Lord, that's my prayer. We're close to you. Thank you for who you are. In your name we pray. Amen.